When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 64 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it. Well, we're now into December, which means a lot of fun things are happening on the hockey calendar. We've got the World Junior A Challenge coming up this week, but everybody's already hotly anticipating the World Junior Championship. We're going to talk about that quite a bit today as U.S. and Canada camp rosters are due out. I'm recording before they're out, but I think we have a, a pretty good idea of, of who will be on those uh, those rosters. So we'll talk a little bit about that, and uh, I'll have a few disclaimers as I talk about both of those. But also spent last weekend in Madison, Wisconsin, watching some of the top draft eligible prospects in college hockey, three of them including Adam Fantilli, Charlie Stramel, and Gavin Brindley. We'll talk about that as well. And also, as always, we will get to your questions. Before we do any of that, always want to remind you to make sure that you have subscribed to this podcast on your app of choice so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, especially this holiday season, it's the season of giving, if you would be so kind as to give a kind rating and review of this podcast on your app of choice, it really does go a long way in helping get the word out about the podcast and also to let other people know what we're all about. And I'm so appreciative of all the listeners that have left uh, kind ratings already and, and also those that will continue to do so. It's been great to have this kind of back and forth with you uh, with the, the Q&As and the different things that we do. Um, and it's always nice to see people out and about that, that listen to the podcast as well. It's uh, People stop me in the rinks and we, we talk and it's, it's awesome to have that experience because I know that... Uh, as as a, somebody that loves podcasts and loves listening to podcasts, it's my pleasure to really put this out there. So I hope that you do leave a kind rating and review. That does help a lot. And don't forget, you can always watch this podcast on flowhockey.tv. We have the entire episode as well as clips that you can watch throughout the week. So definitely check that out. If you enjoy listening to the podcast and you'd like to watch it as well, uh, you can definitely get that on the Flow Hockey app. So uh, be sure to do that. A lot of good games. We've had a lot of great uh, great games lately uh, on Flow Hockey as well. So if you haven't yet subscribed to Flow Sports and Flow Hockey, do it now. I mean, you get all the great sports on uh, that, that Flow offers, everything, racing, wrestling, a lot of different things kicking into high gear right now, uh, but also, of course, a lot of hockey. And basically every single weekend, you've got dozens upon dozens of games to choose from. So don't miss any of that action and make sure you're also reading all the great content that we're putting out on Flow Hockey as well. So let's get into the show. And I wanted to start with the NHL draft. We're going to talk a lot about the World Juniors in a little bit here. But I wanted to talk about the NHL draft because I spent my weekend in Madison, Wisconsin, as I mentioned. And that was a great opportunity for me to see three of the top four NHL draft prospects currently playing in the NCAA. They're all first-year eligibles. Um, you know, Adam Fantilli is the guy that everybody's talking about in college hockey. He's had a tremendous season. Um, production has slowed just a little bit. He did have an illness uh, not all that long ago, and, and his point production has tailed off just ever so slightly. He did have one goal over the weekend, uh, but that's the guy that everybody's kind of watching is, it, can he challenge Connor Bedard? And, you know, Connor Bedard, I didn't want to talk about him as well before we get into those college guys, because it's been a very eventful weekend on the Connor Bedard front. Um, he's had a ton of points, which you always expect. I mean, he continues to produce at an alarming rate, just scoring, He's, the assists are piling up as well. You know, Regina went through uh, uh, British Columbia and did an outstanding job of, of taking points away. They had one real rough game against the top team in Kamloops, but aside from that, they really played well. And 
Uh, it was also a little bit of uh, uh, fireworks as well because um, a lot of people have talked about whether or not Connor Bedard should be traded. Um, Regina is a mid-tier team. They have, you know, they've hovered around 500 this year. They haven't played very well. This is not a team that you would expect to make a deep run into the playoffs. It's not a team that you expect to compete for a Memorial Cup. There was a ton of chatter as they went through British Columbia about whether or not Connor Bedard could go to one of those teams, specifically Kamloops. I know that John Paddock, the the, the head coach and general manager of Regina, uh, got real snippy with the media as well, which is, you know, I mean, uh, believe me, I understand the frustration of of things, but I, I you know, he was accusing the uh, the reporter for working for Kamloops and all these different things that that weren't really fair. Um, and I understand the the fatigue of having to listen to the constant trade rumors. But Connor Bedard, uh, you know, at this point has not asked for a trade to anyone's knowledge, um, and that is something that would have to be done in order for him to move. Um, and I don't know that he will ask for that, you know, and it's, it's very interesting. He's the captain of Regina. He's decided to stay, you know, he's, he's going through it. Um, you know, I don't think that he's the type of player or person that, you know, would, would bail. Um, but also I know that there's a lot of NHL scouts out there that would love to see him in, in meaningful games, um, just to get that last little bit of, of evaluation in there and have him play in these, these experiences because odds are he's not going back to the WHL next season. He's you know, dominating that league right now. You expect that he'll be on an NHL roster next year. So it also, there's a lot of questions about, does it even make sense for Regina not to trade him? Um, you know, to, to, to say, hey, we can set ourselves up for the future by getting draft picks, players, prospects, all these different things, you know, that, that would you could get in a trade for Connor Bedard. But at the same time, the Regina Pats will always be able to say that you know, that was the only WHL jersey he ever wore. That was, you know, he was part of their program. He's part of their legacy, which he would be either way, even if he did get traded. But, you know, he's he that's that's basically where things go. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think he's going to get traded. I think he'll just stay there. He is going to the World Junior Championship. Regina is going to lose him and, and at least one or two other players to the World Juniors. And that is going to be a bit of a, a, an opportunity for other teams to continue piling up on Regina, as they play without their top players, you know, can, are they going to be even further out of the picture? Are they going to be out of the playoff hunt? You know, those types of things are, are all in play at this point. But to me, I don't really care where Connor Bedard plays. I don't care if he gets the experience in the in the Memorial Cup. It'd be an added bonus to what he's doing. But what we're seeing right now is a player that's you know he's in an adverse situation where he is does not have a huge supporting cast around him, and he continues to produce. There is nothing that you can throw at him that he can't handle. And that's probably one of the most special things about Connor Bedard is that that he's he's had all of these different things thrown at him, um, you know, the hype and and the attention, and then also these trades, the trade rumors, and you know, not being on a very good team, and you know, playing in the World Juniors as a double underager, and all these different things that are going on in his life, and he's handled it beautifully. I mean, without without any real concern, and you know, he's he's done a lot of media, he's done a lot of different things where you know he he hasn't shied away from the spotlight at all. And I think that that's helped Regina sell tickets. It's helped the visiting team sell tickets. And Connor Bedard has been great for the WHL in general. So to me, it doesn't really matter what team he plays on. He's going to be an exceptional talent. But it, I, I wanted to touch on that because that has been among the, the big news on the NHL draft front. But we're going to bring it back to college hockey. And the University of Michigan, University of Wisconsin was there for both games. It was a C- series split. Wisconsin. Uh, fell down two nothing early on Friday, and then then Charlie Stramel actually sparked the comeback with an end to end goal, uh, and then they ended up winning that game six to three with an empty netter that, if you haven't seen yet, is uh, a long own goal for Michigan. Uh, unfortunately, it was uh, a bad bounce their way, but then Michigan responds the next night, and they're able to come back and pick up the win with Marcus Stapa actually playing a starring role, um, a guy that doesn't get a lot of attention. He's undrafted. Uh, but he scored a, a shorthanded goal and then another big time goal for uh, for the game winner as well um, on Saturday. But the main focus for me was obviously watching the NHL draft eligible players. There were a lot of NHL prospects in that game. You know, Rucker McGrory had a great game. Uh, Seamus Casey, Luke Hughes, um, you know, uh, Mackie Samuskevich, all those guys played very well. Um, also on the other side, you had Corson Kuhleman, who I thought had a really nice game on on Friday, the, the Columbus draft pick. But the focus for me was to dr- really just zero in on, on the draft-eligible players, and certainly Fantilli, Brindley, and Stramel gave, you, gave me a lot to, to look at. So I'm going to have some stories up on Flow Hockey, some more in-depth kind of looks with, with uh, 
I have a very detailed Charlie Stramel scouting report coming out along with, uh, you know, some of his commentary and some commentary from his coach about how the season has gone. And, you know, as Charlie Stramel's season has progressed, and we're going to start with him and, and we'll work our way up to, to Adam Fantilli here. Uh, but Charlie Stramel had a goal and an assist in the first game. Um, and, it, and he's now had points in uh, three of his last five games. He started to look a lot more comfortable in terms of, you know, what his role is and where he needs to be and what he needs to do. Um, he's played alongside with Cruz Lucius, a fellow freshman, and then also Jack Gorniak, who's a very experienced college player, plays with a lot of pace. Um, so those are the guys that he's kind of been surrounded with. And now Wisconsin as a team has struggled. That win against Michigan on, on Friday night was their first Big Ten victory of the season in seven tries. So that was, you know, they're, they're one in, uh, one in eight or one in seven rather in Big Ten play right now. And so when you're on a struggling team and you're in your first year of college and you're one of the younger players in college hockey, it can be very difficult for you to stand out in the crowd. Now, I think that Charlie Stramel's game and his size and his strength and all those things, they still stand out. Those are the things that we knew that would be there. The production hasn't. You know, it's six points in 13 games right now for him. It's not the kind of production that you expect from a top-tier NHL draft prospect. But I also don't think that it's the type of situation that a lot of top-tier NHL draft picks are usually or, or draft prospects are usually in because they're typically on top programs that are having success. That's not the case for Charlie Stramel. He's he's on a team that's struggling, and he's got to be a much bigger piece of that team uh, because of his talent level. So the one thing I'd say about the, what what really stood out to me is that you know obviously he's got the size and athleticism. We didn't never question that. There's some nimbleness to him for such a big guy. I like his footwork. I like his ability to close on pucks. And, you know, in, in not, he's not going to be able to separate from every defenseman in the country when he's, when he's got some time, but he can get his feet moving and he can get up the ice pretty quickly. And so that helps a lot too. He's got the physical edge to his game. I think he can even get a little bit meaner without taking too many penalties. He took a major penalty on Saturday, proved a little costly for his team, and obviously took one of their best players out of the lineup. But to me, there's no doubt in my mind, he's the number one center for that team in terms of talent. He's got a lot of the tools that, that you need to have success. He's good on the power plays, a big net front presence. He's very difficult to push off pucks. He protects well. I think his hands are pretty pretty darn good for a big guy. He doesn't have that flash and dash dangle, but he really has sure-handedness with the puck, which I think matters even more. He just makes good, smart plays with it. Um, you know, I didn't see too many mistakes where he was just completely out of sorts, except for the checking from behind major penalty that he took. And those are the areas that he needs to kind of just pull back a little bit and say, all right, I need to make a smarter play here. He's so big that he can be disruptive as it is. So, I mean, I think that that's another thing that, that, you know, I'm not terribly worried about with Charlie Stramel because he is one of those players that, you know, he has all the tools, you know, and, and I think there, there may be some valid concerns is, you know, does he have necessarily uh, the high-end hockey sense. I, I don't think it's high-end, but I also don't think it's a detriment to his game. I think he thinks the game well enough. I think he processes it well enough, and he anticipates pretty well. Um, so the question is, is where does he go in the draft? I mean, it's very early in the season. You know, if his production continues this way, he's not the type of guy that you're going to see go in a top 15 range. I mean, I think that there's just too much risk at that point. You say, well, he's not producing, so what do we, you know, what 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 else can he do? I think he does a lot. I think he's got two-way capabilities. I think he's good defensively. He can get, you know, play in a lot of different situations for your team. Um, he's out there in late game situations and key moments of the game. So, you know, those are the types of things that you like to see from him. So I think Charlie Stramel, to me, still very much in that top 20 conversation, even though the production is lower, because there just aren't many guys that are that athletic, that big, that strong, and still has that scoring ability. The goal that he scored on on Friday night was a beauty. He actually uh, went around Rucker McGrory, who was kind of covering for the defenseman, goes all the way down the ice, and it was just a perfectly placed shot just between the glove and the leg pad of Eric Portillo on the rush, and that sparked a huge comeback for Wisconsin. It was a big moment in that game. It was something they needed, and so to be able to see that was very valuable, and there were at least 90 scouts, I think, over the course of the weekend. There were a lot of guys there. I think they, so something like 50 on Friday and 40 on Saturday. There were NHL GMs in the building, you know, guys that you know, and and a lot of that's to do with, you know to watch Fantilli, but there aren't many NCAA series that you're going to get a chance to see three NHL draft eligible players, and all three have a strong case to make the first round. It just doesn't happen very often, so it was really cool to you know to be able to experience that as well, and then have those players make an impact in their games. That was really 
interesting to watch. So Charlie Stramel, still a very good player, a guy that we're going to be spending a lot more time on as the season progresses. And again, you'll be able to read more about him this week on Talking Hockey Sense. Fully expect him to make Team USA's uh, junior camp. He's on the bubble to make the team. He's going to have to do a little bit of extra work. He's got to be more than just a big body, and I think that he is. But at the World Junior setting, that's a different story. You know, the, the penalty trouble also is another thing that is strongly, strongly considered when we talk about making World Junior rosters. Talent matters, but those, those situations where you take key penalties and it costs your team, that's when you start getting a little bit more concerned about, you know, is he actually going to make the team? Um, so he's got a little bit of an uphill battle. Now we're going to move along to Gavin Brindley. And Brindley's been fascinating to watch as well. Obviously a very strong uh, skater. He's got a great motor. He's, he's not a very big guy, but he's, he's very competitive. He plays on the second line with TJ Hughes and Rutger McGroarty, or at least he did this weekend and played a lot of minutes. And I was talking to Brandon Narado, the head coach of Michigan, after the game on Saturday night after they won. And just, you know, Brindley has only scored one goal this season. That's Pretty surprising considering his skill level, his speed, the different things that he's able to, to do. He does play with a, a, a real pure shooter in Rutger McGroarty, though. So, you know, he's still getting his assists and all those different things. He's got about 10 points so far this season. So, you know, I was asking Nerado, you know, what is the identity of Gavin Brindley? And it, he just kind of does a little bit of everything for them. And he said, you know, even when he's not scoring, he's making an impact. And, you know, he said he, he thought of all the second lines in the country, he thought Michigan's probably leads the nation in ice time. And it might lead most first lines as well because they are over the boards an awful lot, and they made a huge impact in the series. I thought they were the best line for Michigan early in Friday night's game and then also was was real strong in that second game. And Brindley's a big part of that because of his speed, his ability to get on pucks, his ability to get through the neutral zone, to make plays. He's got skill. He can make defenders miss. But I really think that competitive edge to him is, is, is fascinating. And that's why I think he's also in the mix to make Team USA for the World Juniors as well. He's, he's definitely one of the guys that is in that conversation. Um, he's, he's one of the guys that, you know, does he fit a role? Is there Can he bring some scoring? Um, but I think that in general, what we're seeing from Gavin Brindley is a guy that's made a very quick adjustment to college hockey as a young player. It's not easy to do going dra- straight from the USHL to college hockey and being able to make an impact. You have to have a certain level of, of, of hockey sense, a certain level of skill, a certain level of ability. I think he has all of that. Um, you know, he's probably going to be a back half of the first round player. Maybe, you know, there's a chance that he could slide into the second round, but I really do think that he's a first round caliber talent, even in this draft where we see some, some good depth and some good forwards. Um, you know, I think the thing that strikes me about Gavin Brindley is that he, you know, as I mentioned, he doesn't have to score to make an impact. He, he can make plays. He can be disruptive defensively. He can be disruptive offensively as well. He gets in on pucks and, you know, he gets deep into the zone and, and he's always all over the place and he's kind of hard to track. And so I think that those are real, real important qualities. But I just think that that competitive edge that he has is such a huge factor in why he's had success as a young player. Also, I uh, wanted to quickly touch on um, uh, Adam Fantilli. I mean, and, and more than quickly, you know, I think that he's, He's the guy that that everybody's watching right now, and and you look at you know his production throughout the season and what he's been able to accomplish. And you know he's off a little bit off the pace that he started. I mean, he was scoring about two points per game um, in earlier in the season, but you know he's still among the top scorers in college hockey. He is actually um, second in scoring behind Ryan McAllister from Western Michigan, who is a freshman, but he's a 20, 20 year old freshman. Um, but he has thirty three points already for Western Michigan, but Fantilli's at 1.63 points per game. You know, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit closer now. Um, it's kind of off the, the, the Jack Eichel pace. It's off the, um, uh, the, the Kyle Connor pace that he was on earlier. Uh, did have one goal over the weekend, but I think the things that we see that the reason that Adam Fantilli continues to be one of the top guys for this draft is he's got that size. He's got strength. He's got speed. He plays in all situations for Michigan. He's very strong on the PK. He's a threat on the PK. Um, you know, he's he's obviously scoring a lot this year with 11 goals among the top scorers in college hockey this season um, in terms of goals and then also with the assists as well. He's getting a lot of shots on net. And he's just a handful. He's very difficult to defend. He's difficult and off the puck as well. He's able to make strong plays. He, you know, he's he, he's, he told me uh, on Saturday, you know, like I can't, 
points don't matter to me. It's just about making an impact on the game. And I think one of the things that, that I asked him about that he's been working with, with, with Brandon Narado, who, you know, before he was the interim head coach for Michigan um, and an assistant last season, he was a highly sought after, highly regarded skills coach for many, uh, many great NHL players. He's worked with the Hughes brothers, worked with Dylan Larkin. He's worked with a lot of players that, you know, have, have had great NHL careers and have had very strong offensive capabilities. And, you know, I think that Fantilli has said, you know, he's still trying to work on playing in the interior, using his skill level inside. You know, he's got the power. We know he's got the strength. We know he's got the speed. Can he get that finish from inside? You know, can he play inside the faceoff dots? Can he get um, under the defense, you know, beneath the puck as well, just trying to make plays to to be disruptive and then, you know, converting on those chances that he has. So it's a real asset for Michigan to have a guy like Dorado who is a skills center, uh, a coach that has such a background in skills and shows these guys so much video, shows them different things that they can do um, to improve their games and develop on top of, you know, having success on the season. But, you know, the interesting thing about Michigan though, in terms of, you know, team success. And I think that one of the things about Fantilli that was fascinating early on, was not just that he was having success himself, but that he was driving team success. Now, they've gone through a little bit of a, of a tougher spell. We talked about how they had those health concerns. Fantilli was one of the players that had to miss a weekend because he was sick. Um, you know, seems like they're past that now and that they're getting better. But, you know, I mean, they, they started the season off so hot and, and was really difficult to beat them. And now they've kind of come back to earth a little bit. And then having that loss to Wisconsin is another moment where you're just like, ah, you know, are they as good as we thought they were? I do think they are. I mean, I think that. That, that talent usually will win out over time. Um, and I do think that as they get into the teeth of their, their schedule, it'll be interesting to see kind of where they stand. They've got a big series, a home and home series with Michigan state coming up. Um, we'll see who's missing uh, for, uh, for them. I don't believe they will be missing any of the U S players for the world juniors, uh, but they may be missing Fantilli because we fully expect him to be on Canada's roster. When that gets announced uh, later today, as I record this, by the time you listen to this podcast, it will already be out, and you'll be able to read all about it on flowhockey.tv. We'll be talking a lot about that. And we're going to talk about it now because we're going to move on to the World Juniors. We'll, we're going to cover Fantilli in depth throughout the season, so definitely uh, don't forget about that. And then I'll also have a story up on him on Flow Hockey um, a little bit later this week as well. So moving on to the World Junior talk, and, and you know the U.S. roster, as I'm, as I'm recording this, is not out yet. So do take this with a bit of a grain of salt. Know that. There's going to be more uh, information on flow hockey, but, you know, through speaking with different sources from around and having a a basic idea of, of how the roster is shaking out, you know, there, there will be probably a couple surprises um, to some in terms of what's there, but there are also a couple of things that impact the roster decisions. And one of those things right now is that Chaz Lucius, who plays for the Manitoba Moose in the AHL first round draft pick, the Winnipeg Jets, He's been injured, um, and he is uh, his status is week to week. I don't know if he's going to be available for Team USA's camp, and I don't know if he's going to be available for the tournament. Unfortunately for Chaz Lucius, um, the the injury bug has bit him harder than it's bitten a lot of other prospects. He was hurt throughout his draft year, was hurt last year at Minnesota, um, you know, missed the Summer World Juniors, and now he's injured again and, and actually was already injured at one point this season. So injuries continue to disrupt his development. He's a very skilled player. You know, I think he's a guy that USA certainly would have liked to have looked at a little bit more on um, uh, basically as a center position, because I think that that's one of the areas where they're, they're definitely in a bit of a, a greater need, but you know, I, I think that we're going to see some really good players throughout that roster. Guys that you know we expected to be there: Logan Cooley, Cutter Goche, Jimmy Snuggerud. Guys that have really stepped up this season. You look at also, you know, one guy that I haven't mentioned yet, but had a tremendous weekend, three assists last weekend. Uh, Lane Hudson, who has been um, incredible. You know that as a defenseman, he's the top scoring defenseman in the NCAA right now. Um, pretty fascinating to watch him and and see his progression as a freshman at Boston University. Um, but, you know, the, the freshman, I think this team is going to be young. Um, you know, they're going to try to get as many of those 03 birth years in there as they can. And we should see guys like Dylan Duke, Red Savage, um, you know, players that that have some world junior experience like Savage does. Um, Stramel is in the mix. So, you know, they're trying to find 
the ways to to get some of those guys in there that that have that world junior experience, but it's a little bit harder to kind of you know sort out. But you know, among the guys that I think are are really intriguing that are going to be on this roster, uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to see Brindley there um, in camp. Doesn't mean he's going to make the team, but he's going to be in camp. Jackson Blake, who's had a very strong season at North Dakota, that's another guy that's going to be. You know, can he make a, a significant enough impact offensively to to take one of those you know top six, middle six roster spots? Um, he's been great for North Dakota. North Dakota as a whole has struggled this year. Um, pretty sure we're going to see Will Smith and Ryan Leonard from the National Under eighteen team on the in the group as well. So you know how how will they be able to make it? Is it going to be a situation where where you know hey we've got a couple of underagers? Can they both get on the team? When they're already looking at a team that could be very heavy on the O fours, um, you know, especially when you lose a guy like Lucius, you lose if if he is indeed lost, you lose a you know another nineteen year old, a guy that's got some you know some some age on his side, some experience on his side. So then you start filtering in other guys, and I think that that's where some of these O fours come in, uh, like Gauthier, McGrory, um, you know, uh, Logan Cooley, Jimmy Snuggerud. You know, those those guys are going to have a, a pretty significant say. On this roster, another 04 that I think has played his way onto Team USA, or at least into the camp, is Cam Lund over at Northeastern. Played for the Green Bay Gamblers last year. He's kind of been up and down a little bit in his draft season, but then this year he's really come on strong for Northeastern. He's given him a good scoring threat. He's had some big games this year that allowed him, you know, to really showcase that he can be a big game player. So he's got an opportunity to make the team as well. Tyler Boucher, another one of those guys that that is a uh, um, you know, last year didn't make the team. He's one of the guys that has to be careful about the penalty trouble as well. He plays a more physical game, um, but you know, a top ten pick from Ottawa plays for the sixty sevens. You know, I think he's going to be on the roster because Team USA needs a little bit of that abrasiveness. They've got a lot of skill. They need some of that abrasiveness, a little bit of size, a little bit of physicality. I think that helps his chances of making the final roster because again, we're talking about camp rosters right now. We're not talking about the final rosters. That they'll have to cut down to to get to the to the World Juniors when when we're on December 26th. Those rosters have to be in um, basically Christmas night uh, at midnight, and then um, you know you we've seen over the years a lot of different uh, uh, teams have have kind of left spots open, and then they have guys that they're waiting to see who can get healthy. So we'll see if USA goes that route as well. The thing that I mentioned in a previous podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth here because I think basically what what has transpired is. You know, the the U.S. defense pool is very small in in comparison to previous years. I think a lot of their defensemen are five eleven, five ten, you know, in that range, or in Lane Hudson's case, like a five eight, uh, five nine, somewhere in there. Um, and so the, they're a bit of a smaller decor. You've got Luke Hughes, you've got Shai Buyum. So Luke Hughes is a, is a returning player, Team USA's number one defenseman by a country mile. Most important player on the team, in my personal opinion, the guy that can really drive things for them in a roster that I don't think has the depth to necessarily compete with uh, with some of the others. But you know, I, I would say that it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting to see where we go with this next uh, this next phase on this decor because of the size situation. Um, you know, Chai Buyum and, and Luke Hughes are the two guys that are above six foot. You know, the rest are in that six foot or below range. Guys like Ryan Chesley and 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 um, uh, Seamus Casey, who I just saw at uh, at Michigan. So those are guys that have definitely um, made a potential uh, impact enough to say, you know, the size isn't going to be a issue. Isn't going to be an issue. So I think that you're looking at a, at, a, at a quicker decor. A, a group that's going to move pucks extremely well. The question is, how are they going to be at the net front? How are they going to be when they're playing against a team that has speed like Canada or has speed like like Sweden? Are they going to be able to take away the middle of the ice well enough? Those are questions that I think we're going to have to answer um, or that USA is going to have to answer. I don't have to answer anything. I mean, I'm just going to sit here and write about it either way. But, you know, I, I think that the, the the fascinating thing about this U.S. roster construction is that, you know, they're going to have to play at a very quick pace. And they're going to have to be a puck possession based team, which is something that you know Rand Pecknold at Quinnipiac has done repeatedly. He's had you know teams that have a little bit of quickness, they have some heaviness to them, and then they they, they have a lot of puck possession. Um, you know, will they be able to defend at that level uh, that we've seen the Bobcats defend at over the years and, and, and provide some 
know, some air cover for their for their goaltender. You know, I I, I don't know. We're gonna have to see, but that's gonna be the important thing. The U.S. goaltending group is um, a little shallow, but I will say that Caden Embarico of the of the guys that are available to Team USA, Caden Embarico was the starter last year, and he had a, a a reasonably strong tournament, but he did make a key error in a game that ended up getting them eliminated. Um, and that has kind of been the thing about Caden Embarico is there that he's been he's he's a smaller goaltender. He's extremely athletic, extremely quick. He makes a lot of saves, but he's still prone to that big goal against that just crushes you. And that's, you know, this year at at Colorado College, however, he's had some really big moments. He he had a 39 save shutout on Friday night against Minnesota Duluth. He has a 924 save percentage in 12 appearances so far this season for the Tigers. So he's played some of his best hockey. Some of the best hockey he's played in his career is what he's coming in with to Team USA. So that's a very strong indication that, you know, hey, he's going to be a guy that, you know, you give him the net, you give him as much support as you can defensively, and he'll find a way to win it. Can he steal you a game? That's the thing I'm not necessarily certain about. You know, it, it, he's going to have to play out of his mind, I think, in some of these games because, um, as I mentioned, you know, there are going to be teams that are going to be able to push the U.S. around a little bit, and they're going to be able to get to the interior, and that's when your goaltender has to come bail you out. The other guy that's going to be real fascinating to watch so far uh, or watch heading into this tournament is Trey Augustine. Fully expect the underage goaltender to be one of Team USA's top two goalies, potentially could even start some games. Um, he's had a very good season with the national under-18 team this year, uh, a save percentage north of 930, uh, which is very difficult to do in the national team development program. They did actually have him go play with the under-17 team to get a few more reps. Um, and then in actual USHL play this season, he's 4-0-1 with a 9.59 save percentage in five games. And then he's also played against colleges and, and, and everything else with the NTDP's mixed schedule at a good Five Nations tournament. He's made every, every case to be on the team. After that, it's kind of a, a hodgepodge. I think we'll see Tyler Muselik and Andrew Oak as, as a couple of other goaltenders that are going to be in the mix to play for Team USA. I don't think either of them have a chance to start. It'll be either Embarico or Augustine. Those will be the tan. That'll be the tandem the U.S. goes with. But those are uh, again, you know, this is not a position of strength. However, I would say I was having a conversation with Corey Promen at Madison. Um, Corey Promen from the Athletic, and also you can hear us on the Athletic Hockey Show uh, banter back and forth every now and again. Um, we were talking about how how weak the goaltending is, kind of throughout the tournament. Um, not a lot of high level prospects that are going to be playing in the tournament. Which is just such crazy from last year. We had Jesper Wallstead in the tournament. We had Sebastian Kosa as a backup in the tournament. You know, the first round draft pick. Um, you know, Team USA could have had Drew Camesso, who's you know a second round draft pick in Chicago. Um, you know, there were a couple of other real strong Finnish goalies as well. But this year, it doesn't feel like goaltending is going to be the strength of any one team. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see, kind of how that affects the entire competitive balance of the tournament, because really a lot of times it's going to come down to who has the goaltender that's going the best at, at, at that moment. And even Canada has got to be looking in, up and down their, their depth chart and saying, what do we have here? Uh, what, what's available to us? So uh, very fascinating to see. One other note about roster construction for this tournament, um, as I just got word, um, that if you heard a little beep, that was because I, was at, I had a question that I was waiting for an answer for, and I finally got it. Um, the last couple of years, World Junior rosters have been at 25 players, 25 players. So that's, uh, they, would, they were able to have 22 skaters and three goaltenders. This year, it sounds like it's going back to the traditional 23 skaters or 23 players, which means 20 skaters and three goaltenders. So that means you're going 13 forwards, seven defensemen typically, or 12 forwards, eight defensemen. Um, and now you don't have those extras. So you don't have extras that, that you can bring with you. So you have to be really judicious in your, in your roster construction, because in the last few years, you had a guy, you can bring him in, play him if you need to, or somebody gets injured. That's not going to be the case this year. We're outside of the COVID protocols now. It's not going to be part of, of this tournament. Um, and so they're not going to have those expanded rosters, 23 players. That is going to be the max here for those teams. So it, it, again, you kind of go back. I thought that they should have kept it at 25 personally. I think that the fact that, you know, you, you get an injury to a key player and you can't replace that player 
is a little bit unfair. Um, also, at the fa- you're you're also have an opportunity to bring you know two more players along that that will be part of the experience. Maybe they play, maybe they don't. Uh, but you know those last couple of cuts, you can just see those guys have every reason to make the team. And then you know in the last couple of years, USA has been able to kind of juggle their roster a little bit to make way for some of those players. So uh, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see kind of where everything ends up with that. But um, but yeah, I mean, 23 players. It is what it is. Yeah, it's it's how it's always been. And you, you know, may the best team uh, get that figured out whenever they get a chance there. So. Um, as I mentioned, we're still waiting on Canada's uh, roster at the moment um, to uh, to see, you know, who's all going to be there. And we do have some questions that we're going to get to in just a minute here, um, some of which are about Team Canada and some of the other teams as well. Um, we're expecting to see Sweden's camp roster coming out uh, midweek this week. Um, Finland should be out very soon as well. Um, and so those are going to be two teams that I think have the, the best chance to to really Push Canada, who I think will come into this tournament as the favorite. Um, and you know, the interesting thing about the World Juniors and and it uh, now is that without Russia, it really does impact the competitive balance of the tournament. You you get to see opportunities like we saw in the summer where Latvia ends up making the, the quarterfinal. You know, other teams have a chance to raise up and and and, and do something that nobody really expects of them. Um, we're also going to be waiting to see how much the NHL impacts this where there are a lot of guys like Shane Wright, Brant Clark, um, you know, Simon Nemich, David Juracek, guys that are kind of you know, been been in the NHL mix. They've either played NHL games or, you know, they're they're in the AHL. You know, are those players going to be released and will those teams have those players? Because that can really impact the way things go for the tournament, especially for Canada. You get a Shane Wright in addition to everybody else. And, and while Shane Wright hasn't had great success at the NHL level this year, he's looked really good at the AHL level. And now you give him a chance to go play amongst his peers and gain even more confidence. So um, I think that'll be uh, interesting to watch and, and find out uh, in terms of uh, you know where everything shakes out. But I think that that's, you know, that's going to be uh, among the many fascinating things to watch in this World Junior Championship is how those guys with NHL experience. And you, you have to remember, I mean, just because you get guys with NHL experience doesn't always pan out for you. I think back to the 2013 World Juniors that were played during the NHL lockout, Canada had uh, several players that had played significant NHL time um, already in that tournament. And, you know, it didn't, it didn't lead to them uh, having much success in that particular event. So, I think we'll move on now to some questions. Next week, I will have a much more in-depth, specific position-by-position roster breakdown of both the U.S. and Canada. Um, We'll also take a look at some of the European teams. So once all the rosters are out, once we're getting into that, we'll go more in-depth there. And then the following week, we'll have our our real final World Junior preview episode. So wall-to-wall coverage, I'll be in Moncton uh, with Team USA for the duration of the tournament, uh, following them along, and then also, of course, following the tournament in general. Keep an eye on all the NHL prospects that are playing there. So make sure you get over to Flow Hockey for that coverage. And uh, if you, by the time this podcast comes out, we'll already know the rosters, um, and I will have analysis on that this week as well. So stay tuned for a lot of World Junior content over the next few weeks. All right, we're going to go into our question and answer period here as I take a look at uh, some of the questions you guys sent in. I always appreciate it. You can hit me up at Chris M. Peters is my uh, Twitter feed. Uh, you can ask questions there. You can shoot me a DM. There's all different ways to ask a question, but I will always be happy to answer as my dog is going absolutely bananas because guess what? It's package season, and every time the Amazon driver comes, the dog just goes absolutely ballistic, and I can't stop her. So uh, if you hear her, and maybe I'm just saying this and you think I'm, I'm hearing things, but if you hear her, that's what's going on up there. All right. So our first question comes from Gabriel. And Gabriel asks, who do you think are the favorites to win the World Juniors this year? Who? Well, <laughs> what a question that is. It's tough to say um, because, you know, we don't have the rosters in front of us now, but you always have to say Canada. They're going to have Connor Bedard, probably going to have Shane Wright. They're going to have a really good team. Um, they're going to have a number of players that that can make an impact. Uh, you know, 
guys that were on the roster last year. Um, and even though they're going to be missing players like Mason McTavish and others, um, they're going to have a really strong team. And, and that's every time it's in Canada, you have to you have to look at Canada as a potential favorite. They're going to have the crowd on their side. I think the crowds in Halifax and Moncton are going to be really, really good. Um, so that'll be exciting to see. You know, this is the first year that that the World Juniors has gone back to a junior specific market in some time. We've had a lot of NHL markets, but Halifax with the Mooseheads, um, in Moncton with the Wildcats have some really good teams there, and uh, and so you're going to get really good fan support. But I think Canada, you know, you just look at the skill level. Um, as I mentioned, goaltending is going to be the the Achilles heel for most teams in this tournament. And especially Canada, they don't have a great group of, of goalies to, to kind of lean on in this particular event. But, you know, they have so much talent. You think of guys like Logan Stankoven and, you know, who's who else is going to be there? Is Matt Savoy going to be on this team? You know, all those different things that, you know, are we are we going to get some other underagers that we're not sure about? You know, there's all sorts of different ways that Canada can go with this. Um, you know, the decor is going to be interesting to watch as well. You know, guys like Kevin Korchinski, Brent Clark, you know, guys that can really move pucks. Um, others like Ethan Delmastro, you know, all these different players that that can make a, an impact in a different way. I, I still think that Canada on paper is going to have a really good team. But I would also watch out for Sweden. Um, Sweden's going to have some real, real solid players. I believe they'll get Simon Edmondson back um, from the AHL for that. So that's very positive for them. Um, you know, they've got forwards up front. They've got some real talent and they won the under 18 world championship last year. So their 04 class certainly has had experience. I don't think they're going to have a lot of 04s on that roster aside from guys like, uh, Noah Ostland and, uh, Liam Ogren, Jonathan Lakaramaki. Um, you know, we'll have to see who else is, is on that team and then will they get the goaltending as well? Um, I think the U S for me, real wild card this year. I don't, I, I wouldn't call him a favorite. I wouldn't call them. Uh, I also wouldn't bet against them to medal. Uh, I wouldn't bet against them to 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 surprise us a little bit as well. It kind of comes down to goaltending for me. It comes down to their defensive play. We think that they'll be able to score. They should have enough skill to to keep teams honest and be a really strong, uh, strongly competitive team. But you know, I I certainly wouldn't put them in the favorite category right now uh, as constructed. Our next question comes from Ryan Sykes, and he asks, "Does Brant Clark finally make Team Canada?" Well, Brant Clark, Los Angeles Kings draft pick, famously did not make Team Canada last winter um, and uh, wasn't even in the camp. Um, and that was uh, a point of controversy because he was highly productive. But I, one thing I will always say, and I'm, I just want to go review that for a second before I answer Ryan's question. One thing I'll always say is that the World Juniors is not about how good a prospect you are. When you are drafted, you are drafted for what you can do down the road. When you are picked for a world junior team, you are picked for what you can do right now. That's an important distinction. That's why you'll see sometimes a top five pick will not make a team the, the year after their draft. It happens often. It happens a lot. There have also been times where players that were on the team last year are not this year because thing, things change. The players, the, the player pool changes, the players get better. Now, I, I, did, I didn't think Brent Clark belonged on last year's world junior team. Um, I think that he's made significant strides this year and would be surprised if he wasn't. Now, this is kind of up to the Los Angeles Kings as well. He was sent down for a conditioning stint in the American Hockey League, did pretty well, you know, had, had was able to make an impact there, played five-ish games, I think, um, for the Ontario Reign. Now you're in a situation where what's the next step? And I think the next step for him is to go play at the World Juniors, and I think that Hockey Canada would be happy to have a guy with NHL experience and certainly – um, with his puck moving capabilities. But I mean, last year, there were a lot of defensive things that Brand Clark needed to clean up. The skating still wasn't a, a, a real strong point. It's still not a strong point, but it's not holding him back. He's got really good hockey sense, high end skill. I think he'd be an impact player. The ball, you know, should be in the King's court, uh, <laughs> the King's court in terms of, you know, what they're, what they're ultimately going to do with their roster. Um, but you know, I think that he has every reason to believe that he should be in camp, that he should have a chance to make the team. I think for the Kings with the position that they're in right now, that's probably where they should want him to be as well. And then make a decision after world juniors about what's the next step for his development. Because as of right now, you know, if you can't get him into your lineup consistently enough, you know, there's value to having a guy hang around, you know, one thing, one, one player I'll point out, we often talk about how 
players need to play. And I fully agree with that. But the New York Islanders kept Noah Dobson and barely played him in a year where he was eligible to go back to junior. Noah Dobson has grown leaps and bounds, and he's become a better NHL player. How much of that can you attribute to watching as much as he did in his rookie season to making the next step? I'm not really sure, but I think that for him, being around the team, being able to experience being an NHL player, he was able to gain enough from that to become an impact NHL defenseman, now a top four guy, a guy that produces points, the guy that we thought he would be when he was picked. Uh, you know, I, I think he's an exceptional player. And so that's the decision. Do you go back to junior? Do you send a player back to junior to ride the buses, to, to, to play the games, to get the reps, to do all the things? Or do you keep him with the NHL? You work with the skills coaches. You, you practice against NHL players. You get the odd game. You get chances to get a taste. So there, there's no right way or one way to develop a player. There's no, you know, you don't have to send a guy back. I personally, I've always felt that if the guy's not ready to make an impact at the NHL level, he should be at the, the, the level where he can make an impact and get more reps at making an impact. I always think that. But at the same time, not every player is going to handle things the same way. So that's something that you have to consider um, uh, when you're talking about those players. All right, we got a twofer for our next one. And it, the first one comes uh, from Rackham. They'll both be from Rackham. I'm going to answer this one first. Is what Yuri Kulich is doing as a draft plus one in Rochester, unique. All right, so Yuri Kulich uh, is, uh, you know, first round draft pick of the Sabers. He is playing in Rochester. He was drafted out of Europe, so he was able to uh, to be sent to the AHL immediately after his draft season. He did have um, draft rights in the CHL, but they opted to send him there. You know, he's got a good size, good strength. He's physically ready. Picked 28th overall, and in four, in 20 games, he has 14 points. Um, that's the most by any U19 player presently in the AHL, although there are only four of them. Um, uh, and actually, Philip Mashara is already sent back to junior, um, and Shane Wright is in that mix, and he had four goals in five games that Shane Wright uh, upon being sent back to uh, to Coachella Valley. Um, so it's between Yuri Kulich and, and Simon Nemich, who has seven points in 19 games. And I'll tell you, in terms of uniqueness, um, what Kulich is doing is not unprecedented uh, by any stretch of the imagination. He's done well. You know, he's averaging about 0.7 points per game. And that's really good for an, uh, for a 19-year-old or an under-19 player in this league, in the AHL. It's very difficult for teenagers to produce, and it's certainly been um, challenging uh, for for a lot over the years, but you know, in terms of what he's actually doing, it's it's a strong start, but it's not it's not entirely unique. You know, guys like uh, Willie Nylander, Cole Perfetti, David Pasternak all had uh, much more productive uh, seasons as eighteen year olds in the AHL um, in, in terms of points per game. Um, you know, there there are guys last year like Tyson Forster, who was a first round draft pick of Philadelphia um, playing, you know, in the COVID year uh, when the OHL was shut down, he had 17 points in 24 games um, over that season, which is just slightly ahead of Coolidge's point production. But what you can say about Yuri Coolidge is this is a guy that has had to make the adjustment to North America, that he's had to play against professionals as a night as an 18 year old, that he's had, you know, that he that he had to go into an organization where they were, you know, kind of looking to take the next step. And I think what Rochester has done over the last couple of years with guys like Jack Quinn, with Peyton Krebs, um, with Matias Samuelson, with all these players that have, have spent time there, they are doing a great job of giving them an environment of where they can have some success, where they can have success, where they're going to get opportunity, where they're going to get playing time, where they're going to be able to make mistakes and they're going to be able to move on. I think that's a huge credit to Seth Appert, their head coach. It's a huge credit to the organization for allow, for, for setting up that structure or their AHL team. Um, but what Yuri Kulich is doing this year that isn't, you know, is that he is, he is making an impact and he is, he is definitely um, playing. I wouldn't say above, above his head because I think he's a real talented player. Um, but I think that he's playing at a level where, you know, he's one of the top scorers on his team. He's getting that experience. Now 
I don't think, you know, I think you just let them continue to, to, to do that and to continue to, to, to stay consistent in that and just continue to build up. Um, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that would love to see him called up sooner than later. I don't necessarily think that's the right thing to do. We've seen in the past, like I mentioned Pasternak, he had a lot more time in the AHL to, to adjust, to get his, his legs under him. And then all of a sudden they, he just made it so that the Bruins had no choice, but to bring him up. And that's kind of what, that's the position. If you're an NHL team, that's the position you want to be. And you want that player to leave you no choice, but to call them up. And I think what Coolidge is doing is, is pretty sensational. So let's get to Rackham's next question, which I think is a little bit uh, fascinating as well. And his question, if I can find it, there we go. Um, is, uh, if you were the Sabres, would you send Coolidge and Rosine to the World Juniors or let them keep rolling in Rochester? It's a tougher decision than it would seem um, you know, to do that when you've got players that are playing well in the AHL and you don't want to take them out of that environment. You don't want to take them away from the place they're having success. You don't want to take them away from the progress that they've made. That said, I'm of the general belief that if you are a player that is eligible for the world juniors and you're currently in the American hockey league, which is a fantastic league and a great place to learn. You should be released to the world juniors. I think for, for a couple of reasons, one, it makes the tournament better for all of us, which is selfish, but it also makes the tournament better for all of the players playing in it. You want the best players there. You know, I'm, I have no problem with NHL teams, not releasing players, but basically, the rest of the hockey world stops when this when this tournament starts for the international break, um, and that's why all these pro teams will send uh, in Europe will send their best players to go represent their country. Um, and I think there are a couple of valuable there. There are definitely times where it's not necessarily the best thing. And the the Red Wings did this with Mort Sider a couple of years ago, where they held him back. They said, "We want him to stay where he's at. He's doing so well." He's already, he's, he's beyond the world juniors and, you know, but it obviously significantly hurt Germany's chances, but I think it also took away an opportunity from, from Sider to, you know, continue to establish himself as that next tier defenseman, which he was doing at, in Sweden at the time. And, um, you know, I had no problem with that. Um, you know, as far as, uh, Rosine is concerned and, you know, he's had a really strong season as well. I mean, uh, as a 19 year old. And, you know, same point production as, uh, as Coolidge and, you know, he's, but, but still, this is another opportunity he played in the world juniors last year. I thought he was okay there. He had, he, he produced, but I didn't think he was amazing. I'd love to see him go back and be a better player and be a guy that can make an impact for his team. I really do think that that's something that, you know, he should do and, and be, be a part of, um, I think that'll be a good place for him. Now, if the Sabres were to say to both of those players, we'd rather you stay where you're at, I understand it. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense. They, they get more control. It doesn't disrupt their season. I think if this tournament was in Europe, I would be less inclined to let them leave uh, because you got to go back and forth and you, there's the whole adjustment period. And, you know, there's plenty of different ways. But I think that because both of those players are going to play such a substantial role for their respective junior teams, Playing against their peers, it can be a good confidence-boosting experience. It's a challenge for them. It's an opportunity to play high-level games um, in the middle of the season. And, and you know, the World Juniors is basically a mini-playoffs. You know, and it, it's, it's a very condensed schedule. It's got a lot of high stakes. It's a big stage. I think that that experience is incredibly valuable for those players. The experience at the Summer World Juniors in Edmonton wasn't really the World Junior experience. I think that this next one will be. Um, because the, the crowds weren't very good, the teams, it was summer hockey, it was really difficult. It, it just felt weird the entire time. Give them the, uh, give them the experience. I, if it were me making the decision, I would have both go to the World Juniors, play big roles, be an important player for your team, and, and have an opportunity to potentially win the tournament. You know, I mean, like, the Czechs are going to have a hard time. Um, the Swedes, you know, it's not no guarantee, but they, those are teams that have a, an opportunity to, to play and to win. All right, only a few more questions. I'm going to get this next one from uh, Bailey Johnson out in Columbus, but a proud Michigan alum. Forget this thought by the next time you have a podcast, so consider this an early submission. This was sent in uh, Friday, I believe. What less heralded, read not Fantilli or high draft pick, Michigan player stood out to you the most? 
Well, you know, Michigan's got a lot of good players, so you know, there there's a lot that that uh that can stand out. But I think, you know, a couple of the guys that aren't the top tier guys, I thought that um Jacob Truscott, who's a, a draft pick of the Vancouver Canucks, had a really strong weekend. He's good defensively, plays a lot with Luke Hughes. Um, you know, he, he's he's starting to feel his offensive game a little bit more. He's starting to find it a little bit more. Um, he's not a guy that produces a ton of points, but I think that he he was making some really good plays and good reads, and then he's also been very good defensively. So I think that he his game in terms of progression, I think his game is is really moving in the right direction. He's becoming a better prospect than he than you know than I initially thought he was. Um, you know, Seamus Casey, we've talked a bit about him on the podcast before. Highly uh, intriguing. I didn't think that this last weekend was his best weekend by any stretch of the imagination, but you see all the tools, you see the skill, the skating, the different things that he can do offensively, and and he and things are really starting to click for him offensively as well when they weren't last season. We talked about that last week on the podcast. But one guy that actually made a significant impact on the game that Michigan won was Marcus Stapa. Um, and the interesting thing about him is I think that he's going to be one of those guys that's a really great college player. He's going to have a chance. It's not a guarantee, but he's going to have a chance to earn a free agent contract down the road. He's got decent size. He's got good hands. He scored two really highlight real goals um, that, you know, he seems to, uh, you know, I think uh, he, he really scores a lot of goals with those really nice plays in tight. You know, he's a really good USHL player. Um, and so I think he fits the profile, but he's another guy where you have him for four years. He'd be, you know, he could be an impact guy for you long term. and that's that's the kind of player that you know you try to make sure that your program has a few of um, guys that are going to be there for an extended period that are going to be able to make an impact. You know he scored two really nice goals, and um, I think once he finds that consistency in production, I think more NHL teams are going to be coming around. But it's it's hard because when you're not one of those top tier guys, you're not getting the same level of ice time. And but but those are guys that I think made us made us pretty substantial impact, and then. Um, I'm still looking at TJ Hughes right now, who's a freshman, and we talked about him with Brad Schlossman last week about potential free agents. You know, the way that he's played this season, he's absolutely in the mix to become, you know, a guy that a lot of teams are going to talk to as an NHL free agent. I think that he needs more time, but the way that he's played and, and the way that I the, the way that I saw him play um, as an undrafted guy, you know, that's a, he's going to be on a lot of radars for sure, for sure. All right, our next question comes from Riding the Pine. I actually answered this on Twitter, but I wanted to share it with the class because um, it came in last week, but uh, a little after our, our podcast ended. Um, but this one is, uh, the Blackhawks have Drew Camesso and uh, Arvid Soderblom. Uh, if you were the Blackhawks, would you be looking to add a top goalie prospect in the next two years? Any top guys out there? So for the Chicago Blackhawks specifically, Having, yeah, you know, I still am a big believer in Drew Camesso. He hasn't been amazing this season, but he's played well enough. Um, you know, he played for the U.S. at the Olympics last year. I thought that he, you know, probably should have been the starter in the elimination game against Slovakia. Um, I think he's got a lot of technique. He's he's a very good goaltender. He's got a lot of talent. Um, that's a guy that that I think um, I will be watching very closely uh, as we go forward here, um, but. You know, Soderblom is in the NHL right now. He's 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 making he's not in a good situation because the Blackhawks are pretty pretty poor, um, and so it's hard for him to really stand out. I don't know if it's the best place for him to develop right now. It'd be you know they have guys like Alex Stalock, um, who who's unfortunately injured. You know they they still need to have those stopgap guys. When it comes to drafting goaltenders or looking for goaltenders, like there are going to be top goalies in the in the draft this year. Um, you know, the guys that we've talked a lot about, Harabal and Bjarnason, they haven't played amazingly well of late. Doesn't necessarily scare me or anything like that. Like, you know, I think that they're still top-tier goalies, and there's there's some good ones. We'll see Trey Augustine, who's a goalie that's draft eligible. Um, probably, you know, he's not a first-rounder by any stretch for me, but, you know, he, I think that he's he's a, a, a high upper-mid-round draft pick as a goaltender, probably going to get some starts for USA at the World Juniors. You know, there there are options. But I think for a team that's in Chicago's position, it's really risky to to hang that on a goalie. It's it's difficult to hang your uh, when you're rebuilding and you're saying, you know, we have all these picks. Can we use one on a goaltender? I think they might. You know, they, it depends on where a guy lands. But in terms of the priority, 
right now they they have they have to continue basically rebuilding their entire organization. So they got a good start last year at the draft. Kevin Korchinski looks like a very strong prospect. Frank Nazar has been hurt all year, unfortunately, and won't be part of the World Juniors. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have been. Um, still not active for for Michigan as he recovers from an injury. And then you've got um, uh, you, you know Sam Rinzel, who Sam Rinzel, who they drafted last year. Um, we'll actually have a feature on him coming up very soon on, on Flow Hockey as he gets ready for the World Junior A Challenge. Um, but you know, I think I think that uh, for Chicago, they have to continue to focusing on on building prospects that are in impact positions. I mean, goaltender is the biggest impact position, but it's it's the hardest to draft. Um, and I think that they have guys that they can be comfortable with. I don't think you rest on those goaltending prospects. If something better comes along, you go draft that goalie. Um, you know, basically, you look at what uh, uh, you know, Florida drafted Spencer Knight, signed Sergei Bobrovsky, um, you know, but they have Spencer Knight and, you know, he's going to be the better goalie long term. So if you always if you if you can find that, you take that. But I think for where the Blackhawks are, they need to continue to focus on the positions that they need to add more that, you know, they need more defense, they need more forwards, they need more everything. Um, and I think that, you know, this year in the draft, they'll probably end up with a top five pick. And that allows you to land an impact prospect this year. Outside of that, then you're starting to get into the territory where it's like uh, good players, uh, guys that'll help, but not guys that could be, you know, change, change the direction of your franchise. If it was a Fantilli or a Bedard or Leo Carlson or a Matthew Mitchkov, it, it, that's, that's kind of where, you know, if you're Chicago, that's where you have to hope to be, to be able to kind of move to the next phase because as, as you move on from Kane and Taves, uh, which is coming sooner than anybody would like, then you've got to have something there and they need an impact prospect. So, and I think that you're looking at defense or forward before you're looking at the goaltender. Good question though. All right. Our last question came via direct message. So uh, won't pop up on the screen here if you're watching, but uh, this one came from Eric and it was uh, last winter. The hockey news reported that a new junior league based on the West coast was in the works. They also reported that, that it had the backing from multiple West coast NHL teams, apparently. This league, apparently this league would compete with the USHL for players. Have you heard anything about it? Um, I have heard about it, um, but I don't think there's been a ton of progress made in terms of the league's structure and things like that. Um, you know, it, you did mention, you know, the Hockey News was the first to report it, and then it kind of spread out. And in a lot of the reports, they said that the first year that they wanted to be in operation was 2023-24. Um, I don't think that's going to be possible. Based, not, not to be the league that they want to be, by 2023, 24, we'll have to wait and see. I don't know. Um, you know, they, they want to have a tier one league. I personally don't think there's the player pool to support it at this point. Uh, I think that the USHL is the, is the league that you want as the tier one. And that's where most of the, the top players are continuing to get funneled to in the U S and that's, you know, you need that to, to continue to be strong. You don't want to water that down at all. Um, USA Hockey is ultimately the organization that makes the designation for tier one status. And there's a lot of different standards that have to be met. And I just don't think that that Western league at this point is going to go that way. But, uh, Ben Robert is, uh, is the, the leader of that group, um, that is, um, that is trying to form that league. And he has a long history in the USHL. He's been involved in hockey at various levels. So he's a very sharp hockey mind. He understands the landscape of junior hockey in the United States. I just think that if it's going to exist, it needs to take some time and you can't really slap dash it. And it's good to have it investment from the Western NHL teams, but it's going to take some time. And I, I think that they're a long, long, long way away from being a tier one elite junior league. Um, and, you know, we beyond the announcement, there hasn't been a lot. There hasn't been a lot of buzz in the circles that I speak with in terms of junior hockey and NHL scouts. So I think it will happen some somewhere down the road. I don't think it's imminent um, and, and certainly not by 2023-24, which is you know what had been kind of projected out last year. There's a lot of moving parts to stuff like that, and it just doesn't happen quickly. So we'll have to wait and see, but a good question. All right, well, that's going to basically do it for today. Um, I will come back next week. Lots more World Junior talk, a lot more specific because we'll have those rosters in front of us. We'll be able to break things down a lot more, but I want to at least give you an idea of kind of where things are for uh, for the World Juniors as they're coming up. And again, 
read tons of preview and analysis and everything else uh, on the World Junior Championship at flowhockey.tv. Um, you can also read all about the USHL, the CCHA, the ECHL, Atlantic Hockey, uh, the CHA, everything that we have there. And make sure that you are subscribed to Flow Hockey to get access to all of the great live content that we have there. Also, stay tuned this week for a feature story on Sam Renzel, the Chicago Blackhawks' number one, uh, the third, their first round draft pick from last summer. Uh, he is uh, playing with the Wanderlu Blackhawks in the USHL and will soon be playing for Team USA at the World Junior A Challenge, which we'll also talk about next week um, on Talking Hockey Sense. So, my thanks to Colt Joyce for producing this episode. Thanks to everybody that asked questions, and thanks to you for listening. We will be back next week with a wall-to-wall World Junior episode. Can't wait for it. So make sure you are joining us next week. That's going to do it for today. I'm Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time. 